This is another example of that mysterious yet deeply infectious bug that many riders catch after being on the road for a while, and some just can't seem to shake it. Tim and Marissa Notier saved for five years to do a three-year trip. But once they got on the road, they traveled much slower than what they thought they would. They spent a little less money than they figured they would each day. And four years later, they're still at it and having the time of their lives. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Dragoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Sean Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Marissa Notier, and my husband here is Tim Notier, and we ride around the world on KTM 1190, and that's what we've been doing for the past four years. Tim and Marissa Notier have been traveling around the world two up on a KTM. They started in the U.S., where they're from, then headed south down through South America, eventually over to Africa, when the pandemic struck and sort of shut things down. Well, not sort of, it definitely shut things down. And while most travelers were headed home, many of the suggestions of their own government, Tim and Marissa decided to see if they could stick around, stay put, and keep traveling. They found a place in Kenya to stay and sort of became locals for a while. But as things dragged on and the lockdown remained, borders remained closed, their visas expired, the route was cut off. So finally, they headed back home to the U.S. And at home, they began exploring their own country. Now, as winter approaches, they're back in Chicago, where they're from, repairing and replenishing supplies, getting ready for the next leg of the adventure, Alaska. Tim and Marissa, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. We had you on originally, I think it was back in 2019. You Mm -hmm. had not left the Americas yet. You were headed for Africa. And I know we talked again because we we talked about gear and you were in Kenya. But, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I have to jump back to something that I remember you guys saying when you were in South America, because that was, well, 2019 is now the end of 2000, um, 
21. I had to actually think about yeah. that for a second. <laughs> and as we get close to the end of the year, it messes me up. But the end of 2021. So it's quite a while. But, but what you guys said was you were running out of money back then. <laughs> and it, it got me to thinking, well, if you were running out of money then, how did you do it? How did you survive? What, how are you still on the road now? Well, Africa was very a, a good place to be when you're, you know, on a on a budget. Um, That's right. <laughs> you know, there was very budget friendly, to say the least. You can always find something that was, you, you, and you can always spend as much money as you possibly desire as well. But we yes. always were able to find really cheap places to either camp or you know to mm -hmm. stay at. And some our standards are. It, you know, not this isn't in respect to Africa, but like our our standards for ourselves had lowered a little bit. So what we're willing to stay in mm -hmm. is probably something that I wouldn't invite my my father or mother to <laughs> visit us to come. You know. Right. <laughs> it was very cost effective and we're still running out of money. And obviously being in the States is a lot more expensive. And we did spend the summer traveling. We yeah. went to different expos. It was incredible. But we've also been able to supplement ourselves a bit through the sales of Tim's books, yeah. which has been amazing. And their books about our travels. And so that has been able to keep us afloat so far. And we write for, uh, you know, a couple of magazines. So there's there's some income. It surely isn't uh, the same as the outcome. But we're hoping <laughs> that, uh, you know, at some point in time, you know, we can... We can level that out. But it's but it's a net negative now. You're sort of dipping into your savings continually as you go. Yeah. But yes. at least now it's like kind of like like a, a stairwell going down opposed to just a giant drop, you know. Because you guys saved for five years to go on the trip. What, what, what was yeah. the plan originally? I, I can't remember now. How long was it going to last you? It was going to be three years and we had this plan, right? That we were going to go through the Americas in one year. Then we were going to do Africa and Europe in another year. And then the third year would be Asia. Well, that totally didn't work out because, like we, plans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we actually spent so much time in the Americas. We spent almost two years going through Central and South America, which was amazing. We wouldn't change it for the world, but uh, that definitely changed our plans. And then, we went through Africa and spent more than a year there. Um, a lot of that had to do with the closures due to the pandemic as well. But um, yeah, we like going twice as slow yeah. as we had originally thought. So it has extended. <laughs> yeah. For, for those who don't know, haven't heard your, your story, you started out mm -hmm. um, as high school sweethearts, I guess. Then you separated. C can you just yes. tell that story sort of briefly for, for those who haven't heard it? So Marissa yeah, sure. and I were, we went to prom together. And yes, we did. You had that? an upset stomach. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is quite saying, the memory. Right? I'm so sorry I ruined your prom because he was really sick. <laughs> but no, you didn't ruin it. It was amazing. And uh, yeah, we had a good time. But and then she went to college. Mm -hmm. Responsible adults often do. And I did not because of the theme of Tim No Tears, not very... Uh, responsible adult but <laughs> so she went off to college and I stayed behind um but yeah 10 years of separation we would keep on kind of bouncing into each other like strong magnets and yes soon enough uh she re-entered my life and we got back together and it became permanent yes <laughs> <laughs> 
because Marissa went off traveling and she's coming back every now and then and telling stories of her travels and you're sort of sitting there listening into her, her stories. Yeah. That's exactly it. I did a lot of study abroad and I got really bit by the travel bug pretty early on. And I was bit by a giant motorcycle bug. Yes. (laughs) A motorcycle. And then we kind of combined our two passions and we've been happy ever since and irresponsible and (laughs) (laughs) unemployed, but having a time of our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, irresponsible. It depends on who you ask, right? I mean, that you're, you're referring to probably your your family's Western values. Who probably look at you mm. and go, "Come on, guys, it's yeah. time to get a real job." And baby's you know, career yeah. retirement plan. <laughs> right. you, you've got to run the pattern that we've all been brought up to think that is the pattern we're all supposed to do. This is true. That's right. But we haven't regretted it not a single day. I mean, every day that we're on the road, we just wake up and I think. First of all, where am I? And then second of all, oh yeah, oh, this is pretty awesome. And then I just look forward to being on the road or exploring whatever place we're in, meeting new people. Yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. You did change it for the world. Ah, that's right. (laughs) You you traveled Africa for how long? We were there for just under two years, but traveling as far as two wheels in motion, um, I think a year. A year. And then, yeah, we got we got stuck when the rest of the world kind of paused. Um, but we, we would meander around a little bit. Uh, but it was also nice just to play house. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we were, we had the same shopping store we went to and they knew our names. And, yeah. you know, we had, it was, we raised kittens, which was amazing and <laughs> <Yes>. cooked <laughs> our own food. And I had a, a, a bathroom, a toilet every night for... <laughs> Six months. That it didn't was, always flush. It didn't always flush, but it was there. That <laughs> right. by itself. And that's was, a luxury. That's a luxury. It didn't have a seat cover, but. No, no. <laughs> now, is this in Kenya? Because I think the last time I spoke with you guys, well, other than a quick little phone call with, with Marissa another time, uh, you guys were in Kenya. And I, and I think at that point, COVID had hit and you were sort of hunkered down there. And, and I think you said the same thing, Tim. You, you said that, well, I'm not exactly traveling. We're spending a lot of time sitting around here or at least exploring right. the area mm-hmm. rather than traveling. Is that what you're talking about? Did you spend a lot of time in Kenya? Yeah. Yeah. We spent six months in Kenya. Um, the first seven months were spent in Uganda. And um, then that was because the borders had closed and the airports had closed. And then after seven months, the borders reopened. Our visa was well expired, though they were very forgiving. You know, they said anyone who is stuck here will just, um, you know, kind of throw the visa stuff out the window until Until the borders open again. Well, yeah. Then you get to the border and then it's like they've never heard of that rule. And they're like, well, you are in very big trouble. This is a very big problem. Your your visa expired. I'm like, I know, but I don't know if you know, but there's this thing called the coronavirus that's been going around and borders were shut. But we got it. Borders are always difficult um, all over the world. But I think Africa kind of for us takes the cake for difficult border crossings. And then of course the pandemic made things even more difficult. Um, And there were a lot more things you had to do in order to cross the border. But we did that successfully. We went through to uh, Kenya where we got six months on our visa. And then after the six months, we went back to To Uganda. Uganda. (laughs) And then we kind of threw up the, the white flag. I think the last time we spoke to you, we were still in Kenya and we still had our eyes on the prize of being able to hopefully continue North, uh, to Egypt, you know, took, you know, through Ethiopia, which was, was, and still is having some issues. Um, but our, our, our goal was Europe and that's still, 
still is, but yes. now there's, you know, a lateral pass, if you will, back to the States for us to <laughs> you know, right. kind of get our jabs, recoup, mm-hmm. see friends and family, do some of these overland events. So we, we've, you know, the, the dream isn't crushed. So it's been very freeing to be back in the States because it is such a large and diverse country with so many incredible things to see. Um, and we don't have the visa issues that we were having mm-hmm. in Africa. Um, and then of course people speak our language. Um, we've been nice. able to see friends and family and, um, it's just been this incredible experience coming back and feeling like it's been a real homecoming for yeah. us. The departure from Africa. So is that like you sort of got fed up to that point or were you forced, no. you know, just by what was going on? Well, we were kind of like a, you know, a pong ball going back and forth on the yeah. the loading screen of your computer, you know, and it was right, just... Right, between Uganda and Kenya. Yeah. And it was a little bit of everything. When we, when we looked at what the expectations of Uganda actually being able to be the, the citizens being vaccinated, which was a key um, step in... Traveling travel internationally, and yeah. And like their plan was like June to have a third of the population by June of like 2023. And that's when Marissa and I looked at each other and said, you know, we in the States, I know we were more lucky than, than you up in Canada. It was, you know, people could get them if they wanted them pretty much right away. And so. And by the way, Uganda, this is not their fault. You know, there's only so much supply of the vaccine going around the world. Um, And I think they did the best they could do. They did a great job um, with the resources that they had. But um, we also didn't have a way north with uh, the civil war in Ethiopia. And so we just couldn't go anywhere besides Uganda and Kenya. And uh, yeah, it was a bunch of reasons altogether. And friends and family, you know, we like to see our friends and family every other, well, every two years, um, when we can. So, exactly. you know, and there was, there was some silver linings to the dark cloud that was, uh, the pandemic way back then, you know, but like we, we flew home within 24 hours of landing. We got our first jab. I was hanging out with my dad, having, yeah. you know, Culliver's, this fast food, junk food, you know, dipped right back into the American lifestyle and I gained 10 pounds in a week and <laughs> And I had to pump the brakes and say, okay, this can get out of control real quick. So. <laughs> Need to go on a diet. Yes, <laughs> yes but um, a lot of people asked us at the time, are you really sad that you're, um, basically your trip has come to this end over in Africa? And of course we were sad, but surprisingly, I think the joy of coming back home overwhelmed that for us. And we were actually really excited and quite happy yeah. to be back. No one's ever excited to land at O'Hare Airport, but once I got <laughs> out of there, then some, some of the emotions. Then it was nice, yeah. yes. <laughs> and you flew your bike back, of course, too. We did. That's right. right. That's always stressful. Um, and it Costly. was, once again, quite stressful um, coming from Africa. Uh, they, you know, they don't do it as often as maybe some other places. And uh, There is an international airport in Uganda and then Tebe. So well, they even just flew it to, to Ethiopia, I think, and then out. But, yes. But long and short, it it was, I spent probably about as much money as the cost of the motorcycle 
itself and just flying it around. And this was a $5,000 expense that we did not foresee, but was, we had to, because we couldn't just dump the bike there because I had a Carnady Passage and that cost me $8,000 that I would get back. So it cost me $5,000 in order for me to get $8,000 back. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of bureaucracy involved with bringing your vehicle around through Africa. So, um, yeah, it has been nice to kind of say goodbye to all of that. We've done all our customs paperwork and we're back in the States. We don't have to worry about visas and flying motorcycles. And, uh, so that has been nice. (laughs) And on top of the equation five to get eight, it also means that you don't have to buy a bike because if you left your bike there, you lose the eight and then you also have to buy a bike here. So you're going to That's very true. That's right. But my, my bike's got 86,000 miles on her. She's been really good to us, but she's, she's like an old horse that you love, you know, but it's like (laughs) her, her, her feet ain't broke, but it's just, there's all these young stallions running around you and you're just kind of getting jealous. <laughs> you well, this. to be fair, that, that old horse that you have has been running heavily loaded. I won't yes. say overloaded because I think you've avoided the overloaded term. Um, no, but oh, the no. name of my book. That's, definitely, uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's right, too. I forgot that. <laughs> I remember when we talked last time, you were very careful how you said, well, you know, I, I, I think what you said was you didn't even look at the maximum gross no. vehicle weight. So then you didn't that's know right. if you were overloaded. So technically you could claim innocence. <laughs> Ignorantly blissful. Right. I think we do know that we're overloaded. Now. I think know, the world yeah. knows that we're yes. overloaded. But there has to be an attachment to that bike as well. I mean, you've been everywhere oh, yeah. with the bike, the two of you on this motorcycle. For oh, sure. Yes. To get rid of it now, to start off with a new bike. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, great things associated with that, but there'd be sort of a loss, wouldn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think we'd ever really get rid of it. I don't her. think we'd get rid of it. Like next year, we plan on going to Alaska and back. And um, mm-hmm. I'd really... Um, love to have the KTM be that motorcycle. And we're, she's under the knife right now under some pretty invasive reconstruction surgery. And she's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of everything being replaced. Uh, but the, over the summer when we were messing around from expo to expo, I kept on having electric glitches. And I, I think if you remember from one of our previous podcasts, you may have caught on to the fact that I'm not the most mechanically inclined when it comes into <laughs> what's actually... You know, you, you take the hood off, but, uh, but these were pretty tricky issues actually. Um, they did need a very skilled person, um, in order to diagnose them and fix them and they're reoccurring. Um, it's, it felt a bit during the summer that we were just kind of crossing our fingers and hoping and praying to get to our next destination. Yeah. And, and we did two out of three or two out of three times we had to actually be towed Yeah, because we were on such oh. a time limit and that that's just not as, as fun. Yeah. Right? It takes a lot of the that's joy away. When we break down in Africa and we have like two months to figure out the problem, that's not nearly as stressful as breaking down in Idaho and needing right. to be in Flagstaff <laughs> in two days it's like ah right because yeah. you committed to, to to be at all the shows did you yeah That's exactly right. for mm-hmm. sure but i do think that you know we would be able to get her to alaska and back i just don't want to go to any more really remote areas of the world yeah. on honor and i'm not i guess alaska is quite remote it you is. know it is a tough call and we we're still debating this well there's we don't have a lot of options right our options are we fix the current bike that we have mm-hmm. or we buy a used one because we can't afford a new one mm-hmm. or if there's any big wigs from any large manufacturers <laughs> you know, like I was looking to give are, you one 
Yeah. Right. And so one is like a Make-A-Wish Foundation. The other one is, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, with, with the amount of cash that we have left, a huge chunk of it going to a brand new bike would would hurt us. Yeah. And we do realize that this is our life choice. So we're not looking for donations and pay. This is, we've, we've right. said, I don't want to work and I want to go on a motorcycle. So this isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, a serious, whatever. It's just, we need to figure some stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we are riding around the world. <laughs> when you were in Kenya, by the time you, you got ready to go, did you feel sort of lonely there? But was there no. was there a disconnection at all you had, or was it the other way around? Where you, the longer you stayed, the more actually comfortable? there was there was one day, just one day, where I think you felt homesick. Oh yeah, <laughs> you were looking at some pictures online. I was looking at old friends stuff, who. And, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, the, it was just that one day though, and uh, for me, I think it's like been a couple days. One hour. <laughs> <laughs> I would dedicate the whole day to some Facebook photos I saw um, that made me remind me. Of course, when we think about home and um, the people that we haven't seen in a long time, it, it does get sad. And of course, we want to see those people again. But we love being on the road. We love experiencing new things. We love meeting new people. And Africa really embraced us. We had Uh, wonderful communities that we were living in. When we were in Kenya, we lived in a small town and everybody knew Tim as he walked down the street to buy groceries or whatnot. And they'd all wave and say hi and greet you. Try to sell me stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I remember um, on one of the last days I was buying our last uh, little data plan for our cell phones. And the woman said, oh, where is your other one? And I said, oh, he's, he's, you know, at the supermarket or something. And she said, okay, well say goodbye to the other one for me. <laughs> it was, it was just very sweet. And, um, it was actually kind of hard to say goodbye to that community that we had made there in Africa, but traveling full time is constantly a series of goodbyes and yeah. greetings. Um, you always meet these incredible new people almost on a daily basis as you travel. But then at some point in time, you have to say goodbye to those people. And it is kind of, you're not sure whether you're ever going to see them again, especially in these far off countries. Are we ever going to be in that country again? We just don't know. And so it it's always this feeling of, um, you know, wonderful greetings and then also sorrowful goodbyes. Do you ever get yeah. used to it? Does it become easier as you go along or is it still just as difficult as the first time it happened? I think for me, it's almost become uh, more difficult as I go along. There's been so many incredible people that I've met and uh, I, I've seen this pattern now. I think in the beginning we were so fresh and just uh, very excited to be traveling. But now that I know I have to say goodbye to every new wonderful person that I meet, um, yeah, it does play on my heart a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think for me, it's a case by case. Of course, there's wonderful people all, all over the world, but then there's like the super extraordinarily awesomely wonderful people that we've run mm. into. And that's, that is, you know, it's hard to Those are the hard ones. say goodbye to best friends for life that you've only known for a couple of weeks, but have made such a connection that, yeah. you know, it will, will weigh on you. Like my bike got even heavier with the, <laughs> the sorrow and the way oh. to the goodbye. 
<laughs> that, that's good. Is that in your book, Tim? Yeah, that's that a good description. I like it that. Be, the next one. The next one. Next one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you, well, surely when you're leaving these people, you're, you're finding some way to stay in touch. I mean, with all of our social media that's available. Oh, yeah. That's right. I mean, and the what's community that? just keeps growing. Yeah. You know, we, we met these lovely two ladies that we stayed with because we like to stay at Airbnbs, but not like rent your own empty apartment. We like mm-hmm. to, you know, be part of whatever community we're staying at. Um, and so we rented this bedroom of this woman who lived in Bucaramanga. Which one was it? Yeah, Bucaramanga. And just as fun to say this as it was to Columbia. drive there. But we stayed with these <laughs> two little lovely ladies that, you know, just they were so, fell so in sweet. love with us and we fell in love with them. But we... We still get talk to them on WhatsApp. They still shoot us those little gift things that are, you the know, little singy dancy every Spanish or <laughs> American holiday. We get little, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just really cool. It's like, you know, you get to, to meet these people and of course stay in touch with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would never consider them my best friends, but there's two really sweet ladies that are like, that's right. And there's been a lot aunts. of people like that, you know, they'll say, Oh, where are you now? Send us pictures yeah. of where you are now. And it's just, oh, they're that yeah, interesting. Incredible. Well, I, how do you keep track of it though? I mean, you've got to, the numbers are climbing all the time. What do you have a list? <laughs> it's just WhatsApp and we, we mark them as usually first name and then the country they're from. So <laughs> that's right. We have like Robert Beth because we met Robert in Death Valley. And yeah. Get... Keep it organized. Like yeah. <laughs> Tim, I, I remember you saying that really when you guys started out, at least anyway, and I, and I wonder if there's a change here. You were more into nature, into scenery and things like that. Marissa was more into the connection with the people and culture. So, and, and I think what you said was, if you, you get a place where the people just don't gel, where you're not impressed with the, the culture, it was no big deal to you if there was nice scenery. What cold you weren't sort of bummed out, but probably was. also know that, that once they're cold, they're almost impossible to get warm again. But what you may not know is that Pearly's Possum Socks are the cure for cold feet. Pearlies uses a special blend of merino wool and possum fur knitted together into a fine shape that's designed specifically for motorcycling. They are the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, not because of the ads. They get the ads anyway. I made them the official sock because I was so blown away by how good they are, how well they perform for me. So I gave them that title. Grab a pair for yourself and stave off those cold feet. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. If you're serious about riding, then you have to have serious foot pegs because foot pegs are your connection to control your bike. Tools for serious riders. IMS Products has a full set of adventure motorcycle foot pegs ranging from their extra large ultra wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to their core series. Each peg is designed specifically for a purpose. Drop by their website, imsproducts.com, and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And then get the added leverage, comfort, and control through the IMS foot pegs. It'll take your skill to the next level. imsproducts.com. RoadDogPub.com is your gateway to motorcycle adventure travel books. Road Dog Pub is a publisher of a slew of motorcycle travel books. They've got new books coming out all the time, so you should bookmark that website, RoadDogPub.com. The publisher, Mike Fitterling, has his own blog on the website. You can check it there if you want some free reading. He's also got some titles that are under his name through Road Dog Pub. Road Dog Pub books are available at all fine bookstores, but you can deal direct with the publisher by going to their website, RoadDogPub.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, RoadDogPub.com. 
Tim, I, I remember you saying that really when you guys started out, at least anyway, and, and I wonder if there's a change here, you were more into nature, into scenery and things like that. Marissa was more into mm-hmm. the connection with the people and the culture. So, and, and I think what you said was, if you, you get a place where the people just don't gel, where you're not impressed with the, the culture, it was no big deal to you. If there was nice scenery, you weren't sort of bummed mm-hmm. out, but Marissa was. Is that still yeah. the case? I, I mean... Yes. But I mean, like when the people are awesome and it's not that I don't make an attempt, but I think it's just that nature is so important I have just such an awesome connection with nature. It's all one sided, but you know, I, (laughs) you know, well, you think you don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, getting, we, we just did some of the Colorado BDR and then we did some of like the, the Northeast, um, BDR, the back country discovery routes. And just some of those mountain passes in Colorado reminded me of Peru, which mm. was, I think, the last time we spoke is when I kind of said the people in some of the countries were not as friendly as others, but that wasn't a, a game stopper for, for me as far yeah. as enjoyment and riding through, right? Like, I don't know if I would ever live in a country where there wasn't a big community base. You know, I don't think I'd live on a, a block in, you know, Chicagoland area if the whole block was not community bait you know so i mean yeah and that's the difference between just riding through and visiting and living someplace you know there's a lot of places where um we stay for as long as we want to stay and then at a certain point we're like okay i think we're ready to move on um and to be fair we don't live anywhere full time so um none of these places we have chosen as our perfect place to live uh but we Yeah, we like to really indulge in the things that we enjoy about a certain region. And then uh, at some point in time, we usually get that kind of itchy feeling to keep going and see some more roads and uh, see the next place. But just so I don't sound like I'm I'm unsocial, like (laughs) when we lived in Kenya and Uganda, like the whole entire experience um, was made much better by the the open heartedness and the... yes. The, the people that were in Kampala, Uganda, and in Nanuki, Kenya. And yeah. Yeah, and that type of experience. If everybody was standoffish or what we, what we were scared about when the the pandemic, I hate to say it, the P word, right, first yeah, hit. I, I was like, well, if, if people start looking at Westerners with a, like, people like to blame foreigners, right? Mm. And if that ever got to a situation where we would felt uncomfortable, we would have flown home right away. And that was mm-hmm. pretty much our DEFCON one scenario of like, hey, we'll stay here and wait it out. But if people start getting upset because people are not healthy because of whatever yeah. they, they I think. I mean, at the time, there was good reason to because it was being brought in by foreigners. You know, in the very beginning, every country didn't have it. And it was the travelers who were bringing no. it. Mm-hmm. And so I could definitely understand people blaming the foreigners. But thankfully, they never not. I mean, not not even one. Sometimes in a passing bad joke, you know, but, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, they were just so welcoming of us. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> we were worried in the beginning that it might get to that point of hostility and it, it never even got close. Yeah. Um, we never regretted staying in Africa during that time. Not at all. You mentioned about, you know, some people, you, some areas you go into, the people aren't so friendly. Is that a cultural thing? Is it a neighborhood thing? Like a country thing? Do you, do you sort of notice it where you go, yeah, well, you know, we know from experience that country, not that they're bad, but that they're just not openly, you know, friendly sort of. 
quick to- uh, I find that um, the places where that may happen the most are heavily tourist centered yeah. hotspots. No. Um, and I think it is in with very good reason that the people have gotten very jaded with the amount of tourists going through. And um, it's unfortunately one of, it can be one of the side effects of a lot of tourism in an area. Yeah. Well, I think the same could be true if you live next to, you know, the Black Hills or Mount Rushmore or Sturgis oh, yeah. or something. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, the Harley guys are back. Or, you know, like you're, you don't hate each one on an individual basis, but you're just like, ah, these guys make a lot of, you know. Oh, the crowd. Whatever. Yeah, for, exactly. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We lived in a, on an island in British Columbia, and it, it's a tourist destination. And in the summertime, it, you know, the population triples or quadruples or maybe even more than that. Yeah. All your little spots that you love to go are taken up by tourists, people who, you That's know, right. you don't think should be there yeah. <laughs> technically. Yeah. And of course, we were helping bring them there as well in our case. And it's nice when they go away, but you don't really hate them. But it is a, it does change your attitude, though. It does change the way you interact with someone who's new because you think it's just a, another tourist looking for information or whatever. But aside yeah. from that, aside from the, the, the heavy populated, heavy touristy places, do you find that countries, some countries, I, and I won't ask you to name them, but do you find some countries just aren't as friendly or aren't as easy to approach you and connect with you than others? Well, I would hate to stamp an entire country with any label like that because of my own personal experience because it could have changed with the guy right behind me. But I will answer the opposite question of that to kind of flip it on you. But I will say that Colombia was full of the friendliest, <laughs> awesome people yes. that we have ever encountered from border to border. Just yes, absolutely. And there's bad people in there too. Like I'm sure, right? There's, I'm sure, but know, we just didn't, we didn't find any. across any. Yeah. <laughs> They're just all awesome. Um, I think every group of people, you're going to have, you know, some duds, I guess you could say. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Um, but what we've found is that over 90% are very amazing, incredible, welcoming people. Um, it's it's hard to get surrounded by all the duds. I suppose it does happen, but um, in general, we find that People are very, very welcoming. Now, what they might say about their neighbors um, is different. So, for instance, uh, people in the U.S. will sometimes say, oh, Mexico is very dangerous. And then people in Mexico will say, oh, watch out for El Salvador. And then the people in El Salvador might say, watch out for Honduras. And this just keeps going and going. It's a chain going. reaction. Yeah. Um, and I think you always have to take that with a grain of salt and realize that, well, they've probably never been there. First of all, and second of all, um, if everyone is saying that about their neighbor, then it might not be true. And so what we find is that most people are no. very welcoming and incredible. Um, and again, it's really just those tourist areas. Yeah. And they can be in remote areas, too. But if I'm already having a bad day because it's rough or it's raining or it sucks or whatever, like, you know, because it's not all joy and bliss and, and rainbows, you know, mm -hmm. but if I'm struggling in a day. And all it takes is one, one dud, not a collection of 150, but yeah. just, you know, if one guy can <laughs> ruin my day even worse, you know, I don't stamp the whole country with like that one guy. Yeah. The one guy at the gas station. Peruvian experience, <laughs> you know, but you, you kind of got to get over yourself and get over the situation that you're in sometimes and know yeah. that not all of the. Uh, 
mm-hmm. the entire universe isn't aiming at negativity towards you. No. I think you also have to take into context the history of a place and what they've been dealing with. You know, they might see you as a foreigner, as, um, oh, you know, you're on this very expensive motorcycle. You must be a rich tourist. Um, and they might have some judgment against that. And it might be because of certain reasons. And I think a lot of that is very forgivable. Um, and so, yeah, you have to take that into account as well. Tim, the, the way you um, deflected and redirected that question, uh, I think you're headed for for politics, really. That, 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 was, that was well done. That was really well done to avoid it. But you did mention Peru at the end there, and I was tempted to go after you for that. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no all no, you said no. was Peru, and I just thought, well, you mentioned Peru, and you talked about the tourism. And we all know Peru is, is heavy on tourism, but I'm not going to go there. No. Let's, no. We'll, we'll, next I'm, question. I'm, <laughs> but um, you're back in the States now, as you said, and traveling around in the States. Is Africa done? Like, is that part of your your life plan, sort of that chapter closed? Because you did mention about the carne and, and all the, those things that you've had to deal with there and, and they're finished now. Is, is it permanent? No. No. I, I mean, mean Egypt, we have this dream. Yeah. We have to do to Egypt. Egypt for sure. Uh, and if Ethiopia opens back up, we would love to ride through and maybe connect that line yeah, down go to visit the cats we raised uh, Kenya. <laughs> yeah, it would. That would be, you know. But we're in dream territory yeah. now. We have no idea what well, the situation. And we be always like. wanted to dip back into Morocco, but we couldn't mm-hmm. go from east to west, northern Africa. So the plan was always to go up through Europe and hang a, a U-turn and go back down into Morocco. But I also think it would be interesting to take a ferry from like Sicily to Tunisia. Um, I don't know how practical that is, but yeah. I, it exists or at least it did. So no, but um, nothing cool. is on or off the table. Cause when we That's make right. plans, we have no, you, like, you know, Mongol people are like, what are you going to do? Like somehow get to Mongolia, you know, like <laughs> give me more of a breakdown. I'm like European continent. Than Mongolia. Yes. <laughs> and I like the surprise aspect of that. I think if we plan too much, um, then it's too concrete. And of course, it will never go to plan. But um, I like not knowing exactly where we're going to end up. And it is all about the journey as well, opposed to the destination. The flexibility of you know being able to ping and pong around. Or mm-hmm. someone saying like, oh my God, you didn't go to... Glutenheimer, you know, and I'm like, no, I didn't go to Glutenheimer. And they're like, you got to go to Glutenheimer. And it's like, well, I guess we're going to Glutenheimer. And, yeah. You, know. you find that all the time. Um, even here in the States, we don't know which roads to take yeah. getting from one place to the next. Just this summer, we were having lunch outside and uh, this guy said, oh, where are you guys headed? And we told him, oh, we're going here to Idaho. And he was like, and, and you're taking that road, you know, and he just gave us all these different roads to go down. Wow. And that happens quite frequently. You just, you talk with local people and they'll tell you where to go. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly plan it all. I suppose you could just sit on the internet and find all the best roads everywhere. But, but yeah. the local advice is so much better. It's priceless for yeah. sure. And Marissa, you, you really haven't done much exploring in the States. I think, Tim, you have, I think when you were young, your dad took That's you right. to see some parks and things like that. Like, is that a new experience for you, Marissa? Yes, it has been incredible. I've done a lot of international travel and then just traveling in the United States is like, wow, I feel like quite the idiot to have thought, oh, everything else is abroad. That is not true at all. We have every different type of 
climate here, um, every type of natural vista that you can imagine. It's just the roads are unbelievable, uh, you know, from the, some of the best, most well-paved roads out there with all the twisties to um, really, really rough roads as well. Just the whole spectrum is in the States. And uh, yeah, it has been incredible just to explore my home country. Yeah, I, I sort of got that from what you said there when you were saying to begin with, you said about something about the States being so diverse and there's so much there. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, well, there you are exploring your own home. Um, after you've explored the States, and I don't know if you're done now because I know you're in Chicago and you can't stay there long because you're probably going to get snow any day. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you're planning on riding your bike, and I think you already know this, um, you, you can't stay there long. What happens from here? So our bike is now, it, it, it it's, torn to pieces. So we, we are, we are unintelligently nestling in Chicago over the winter, which is not yes. the, the peak place to do so. Sorry. There, there must've been a problem with the signal there. It sounded like you said you were, you're overwintering in Chicago in the States. Yeah, there's, no, there's something wrong there. Is it's that, a bad signal. I got a big red X on my Well, I mean, there's, there's free accommodations, I mean, our With next, our, yeah, our next step and move is to head back out west and do some more of the expos and then do Alaska. Um, and in the meantime, we want to just get some fairly basic jobs and save up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, and and somebody intelligent who knows more about motorcycles than I to help me work on it. And the the best place for that happened to be Chicago, even though. <laughs> It's not the the warmest. We had an option to to live in Florida, so don't don't Ooh. boo me. But we chose <laughs> Chicago over Florida. But whatever. Yes, I'm sorry. But, I'm still thinking about that when you said that you you chose Chicago <laughs> over Florida. But but I mean, no, I understand. You're you're in a place that you know. Um, certainly yeah. getting jobs, so you can you can sort of at least replenish the bank account a little bit over the winter time. That's yeah. the hope. And also it's been a long time that we've been away from our friends and family. And so we did promise some people that we would give them this winter to yeah. um, be normal again. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to revisit everybody. I, I think anybody listening and you can know or like around holidays, like when you fly into a town that you haven't been in for years or whatever, and you have so many connections, it's really hard to wrap up all of that in a Thanksgiving weekend to mm-hmm. be able to commit to everybody. So it's nice that over the course of the next four or five months, you know, we'll be yeah. able to take the time that's needed to, to spend with friends and family that we, we love so dearly. Yes. <laughs> so that's the decision behind it. But Well, mostly because my bike is a part and we don't, have <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ride around in the used Mazda 626 that I just bought. <laughs> well, you bought a four-wheeler now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a gauger. Right. Don't move me. It's from 1999. <laughs> 1998. Don't even, don't even bump oh, it up. Goodness. Wow. It's a beautiful it's old one. miles. <laughs> What's it like for you guys coming back with your family? As far as, far as you yourself, like you must have had some changes and I don't know if they've been big or, or small changes, but you must have had some changes in the way you look at things. Your even your ideas, which can be controversial yeah. when you, when you come back home. Cause you mentioned yeah. even about the junk food, like you're seeing food and, and supplies <laughs> of food that you haven't seen for a long time. Now, what's that like dealing with your, your family and people who know you as the old Tim and Marissa? Um, 
Well, I hope we haven't changed too much, but I will say that after living in Africa for so long, we had a very simple life there. And I think um, riding on a motorcycle, you have to have a simple life. The things you worry about are basic survival things. You know, where am I going to sleep tonight? What food am I going to eat today? Am I going to get to where I'm going? And you worry about the weather quite a bit. Um, and all those other worries from, you know, having a nine to five job or an eight to five job kind of go away, the more complicated worries. Um, and I think Africa and, uh, a lot of the people there also live this, uh, very pure existence of, you know, people worry about their family. They worry about, um, sometimes survival things, um, and, a lot of those more stressful worries kind of go by the wayside there. Uh, it's a very uh, tranquil place to be in Africa and people are very positive attitude and yeah. laid back. Um, and then we got back to the States and we had this schedule this summer and you just see the excess of what people have here and also the time frame that people keep. Um, I mean, okay, we were living right on the equator in Africa. And so there wasn't ever this need of, oh, you have to get the roof done before winter, right? There mm -hmm. was no winter. So um, I think that kind of lends itself to the laid back attitude there. And then here, oh, we had a lot of things to get done before winter. And so it's been um, more of a high stress environment um, and uh, the worries have changed coming back here. But it's also been that much more rewarding because there's been, it's been so intense. We've had an incredible, incredible summer and just the highs have been through the roof. So I would like to think that, you know, my eyes have been widened a little bit from traveling the world. Um, you know, we pretty much, we do it on a pretty minimalistic uh, lifestyle. Right. Even mm -hmm. though we're overloaded for our minimalistic lifestyle. <laughs> I like that word minimalistic. <laughs> yes. We have a lot of a little, but you know, I, I, I don't, we don't want to like now think that we know more than the next guy when we come back, you know? And so like, you know, my pops has got some stuff and rah, rah, you know, but I don't, it's, it's, it's not overwhelming, but it is, you look around at some friends and family stuff and it's like, <laughs> wow, you have, you have four tongs and he's like, Oh, well the, the, you need a different tong for different applications. And it's like, Oh really? That's, that's very, very interesting. And and why do we have three different rollers? And they're like, Oh, because you don't know but when you do flour with a little bit of water, you use this one. I and mean, it, it's just a cultural difference. And that's just been something that we've noticed <laughs> coming back yeah. here. We've been living so long just on the road with so few things that we see, um, these bigger houses with a lot more stuff. And it was a little shocking in the, in the yeah. beginning. But, you know, there's something that Marissa and I can giggle at in, yeah. in our little basement abode. It's not that it's wrong. <laughs> no. It's and, just different. And that's why I don't want to like be like, well, just so you know, I lived in a house and I <laughs> only had one tong for seven years <laughs> and I survived. So no, we would never say that. No, <laughs> but you do but, learn what how little you need to survive. Whereas yeah. the uh, you know the North American attitude, the Western world attitude, is that you need all the accoutrements. There, you know, mm. you yeah. need everything, and if you're not living to that standard, then you're somehow letting yourself down almost. 
Well, and to me, I almost see it as this weird curvy scale of like, you know, Mm -hmm. this upward progression of I have more fancy stuff, so I'm happier. But then it gets to this breaking point where it just starts dive bombing back down because Mm -hmm. now now you have the iPhone 11, not the iPhone 12. And now, you know, like I don't I don't have the PlayStation 5 and, you know, and this is, you know, like I just think like it can get out of hand. And then if you're not keeping up with the Joneses, you know, I'd, I'd much rather just be living kind of a, a yeah you know upper middle lower class lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i i think that's a really good analogy it does get to a certain point where maybe it's not making you happy anymore but um we've also seen the sad side of that where yeah. people don't have enough to make them happy. And so it has been nice to um, be back in the States and see the plenty that we have here and be very appreciative of it. But the shocker probably is that the people who have plenty don't seem that appreciative. Matter of fact, they're probably a lot of them complaining that they don't have enough. I mean, and it's human nature. I say, take any one of us and put us in any, any situation, we're going to adapt, I think pretty much the same way. Yeah. Well, and a good yeah. example of that is in Africa, they never ran out of toilet paper. Like, because yeah. it wasn't like, you know, 100 people that were like, oh, we need to buy all oh, of the I'm toilet sitting paper. here wondering, <laughs> what is he talking about? What do you mean never ran out of toilet paper? But, but I get what you're talking about because the, the mad rush at the start yeah. of the pandemic yes. where everybody went. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And they didn't do that. Plenty of toilet paper. Uh, But I think this lifestyle of, you know, the simple minimalistic, as you say, uh, riding around on a motorcycle, it also teaches us that, yes, we have everything we need to survive, but we're also really beholden on everyone else. We are at the mercy of um, so many other people. I think if we were having our regular jobs here in the States and, you know, we have our house, we have our mortgage, we have our cars or whatnot. Um, we get lulled into this sense of uh, control. We have control over our life and we don't really need anyone. Um, we're self-sufficient and we can uh, survive on you know, our own selves. But when we're on the motorcycle and we have so little, it becomes very apparent that that is not true. We are dependent on the people of every place that we are at. When we break down, it's extremely apparent that we need their help. And, uh, and I think there's this interconnectedness of everyone with their surroundings that, uh, when you travel by motorcycle, yeah, it becomes very apparent that you are just one small piece of the whole picture. I mean, it's nice when it all flows together seamlessly, like a, you know, canoe going down a river, a placid river. But then when you hit those rapids, you know, it's, uh, it's also good to know that you can reach out on other yes. on other human beings to assist. That's right. It doesn't matter where we are. There's always people there to help us. Yeah. And yes, we have everything we need. We have our tent and stuff, but <clears throat> we rely on people all the time. We rely on people for lunch. We like to go out to uh, restaurants to eat uh, for lunch. We don't always uh, cook and prepare a yeah. packed lunch when we're on the road. Um, sometimes we'll do that for dinner and breakfast, but yeah. I'm not saying we rely on people. Well, just, I mean, we just really not like rely, but, um, then interact. we'll stay at a hotel. <laughs> yeah. yeah we exactly. Interact with people. <laughs> not like we, we, we expect people to buy us lunch 
kind no, of. No, 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 <laughs> no, not that no. at all. But this, the the fact that we go to restaurants, we go to uh, hotels, and yeah. so we're not just alone out there trying to, you know. Exactly, because when we were going to these overland expos uh, this summer, we met a lot of people that could do that in bigger vehicles, yeah. and I think that's one of the things about a motorcycle is that you are uh, very much more. Uh, just exposed to the world and you have to be a part of the world around you. Whereas if you're in a bigger vehicle, yeah, you can yeah. have all the water you need for you're the whole You're in like week. a bomb shelter on four wheels. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You could, in essence, just, you know. Hunker down and you wouldn't need anyone. Well, well, somebody sees you going down the road or something on the motorcycle in the pouring rain and in mud, they're going to feel for you. Whereas if you're going by in a four by four yes. where the windows rolled up, they're going to yeah. say, wow, that must be pretty awesome and sort of walk away. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about traveling on a motorcycle. At least for us, we find it incredible that um, people reach out to us all the time. Even if it's just at a gas station, they see us there like, oh, wow, where are you from? And I think if we were in a vehicle with windows, that might not happen yeah, as much. Not, no, I'm sure it would that's an interesting uh, sort of point of view that you pointed out there, Marissa, about how people become, in the Western world, they become a, a sort of independent. And, and that's because mm -hmm. the reason I say it's interesting is because it's something I've thought of many times as well, is that we, we are. We, we, it used to be, you know, if you go back in the day where people were more dependent on their neighbors, you would get mm -hmm. together with neighbors to do certain things, help, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now we're, we, we can be very independent. We've got the technology. Yeah. We've got everything at our fingertips. Yeah. But on the road, you're not. You 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 um you're more connected. That that really yes. has to that has to be something you miss when you come back now and and for instance buy four wheels to drive around. And I'm not just talking about the mode of transportation. I'm talking about the yeah. lifestyle now. That we miss the being independent. Well, that you miss no oh. the the connection the the, the fact oh. that when you were on the bike, you're always exposed. You're always meeting people, no. etc. And now you've come back home, so to speak, at least Absolutely. for a, a time period. And now you no longer have that. I mean, I mean. I'm, I'm yeah. wondering if, if everything hasn't changed for you right now that you're sitting in Chicago. Well, and I do think that us being back in Chicago is a nice like reset button for mm. all of the mention, you know, of everything you said to, to get us to realize what, what we had become accustomed to as normal. Mm. Um, we never really think too deeply on, right? Because that's just the way that it's been for the last, you know, years of continuous travel. And then sure. when you get back somewhere, and then you can reflect on the differences of of where you are now versus where you were. It's a good, you know, like when you say it to us, it's like, oh, my God, everything you just said is very true. And we've never <laughs> <laughs> too deeply thought about it just because that was just our daily routine, yeah. you know. But once you take it out of your daily routine, very um, true. you know, it's, it's, it's nice to look and compare and contrast. I wouldn't say that it's sad, you know, like we're just kind of. No. We're rebooting. We still love each other. We still have each other and we're connecting with friends and family. And it's, it's a small, you know, there's, this isn't the end of the journey. I think if this was the end of our mega trip, then I think there would be a, a longer shadow cast opposed to, mm. you know, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. We know that this spring we're going to be having adventures all over again. We're going to be going to the very top of Alaska in the summer and, we are so excited for that. And there's a certain excitement that comes with preparing for a journey as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've got that yeah. 
uh, beautiful light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, so. you know, everybody loves the the Christmas Eve as much as Christmas because you. Know, I mean, you're just yeah. Maybe when <laughs> oh, yeah, thirty five years ago, you know. But yeah, the, you know, it's like oh my god, yes. oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. Yes. And then you know, it's the the planning and the the what could be mm-hmm. is is just exciting sometimes as the in the action. Well, I was mm-hmm. going to ask, do you have a date that you're saying, you know, by <clears throat> on this date, we're going to pull out and how do you stop yourself from sort of falling back into it? I mean, Tim, what happens mm-hmm. if you get a job that you, that you like and that pays well, you, you happen uh, to stumble I, across it. Marissa, same with you, you know, you, end up, you guys end up finding something that works and it's like, oh, well, hang on a second. We walk away from this. Are we, are we passing up an opportunity? Actually, that's a very good question because, um, I was a teacher before and I have, a teaching license that will expire soon. And so it has weighed on my mind. I want to do something as far as like substitute teaching this winter. Um, But I have the opportunity to go into another teaching type career that would make more money. And it's a very rewarding profession and it's very needed right now. And it has crossed my mind. I have that opportunity. I could go into that life once again, but then that would be at the expense of this incredible life that we've made for ourselves with riding a motorcycle. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that no, it wouldn't be worth it for me. Um, I'm choosing between two wonderful things. Um, so there's definitely no pity there, but, uh, it, it has crossed my mind. Um, but yeah, we've chosen. Yeah. And I purposely, I mean, I'm, I just, my first day is tomorrow. Uh, I'm working at a, a big box retailer that, yeah. you know, it, so it's just, it's, I just want to work something to, to get some money that I can quit whenever I want, which yes. will be in like four months. Cause in a lot of situations, if I like applied to somewhere as far as career path, by the time I'm useful is when I'm putting in my two week notice. So I don't, I just, that's not the type of person I am. That just kind of would rub me the wrong way. Yeah. So, you know, a seasonal box mover, I can do that and I can make a little bit of money and that will be okay. But yeah, there's, there's no hopes and dreams of a career being built in this moving boxes from the left side to the <laughs> yeah. right side of the way. And that's not going to happen in a few months. <laughs> but Marissa, what's it like to ride around on the back of the bike? all those miles <laughs> through all that stuff, all those times when Tim dropped the bike and, and you thought he should, probably shouldn't have. I, I'm throwing this in here. I'm just assuming this now, obviously this is not from your book or anything. I'm just making this up as I go. And, and, um, and what's that like to be on the, on the bike all that time? And do you ever have the time, do you ever have those thoughts of thinking maybe we should have two? I don't personally. I love, love, love being on the back of the motorcycle Um, I don't think I'm the only passenger out there that doesn't dream of being on another motorcycle. I've met a lot who do, and then they go to another motorcycle and they rarely ever go back. Um, But for me, I don't think that is in my future. Um, I think I could learn how to ride a motorcycle and that would never be a bad thing to do. Um, But I, I love it so much. And yes, we do fall sometimes. I never blame Tim. I know that he does such a good job and he, um, you know, is always thinking about me and my safety uh, before his own. I know this because when he goes off without me, 
Um, they come back much dirtier and muddier. <laughs> you pushed things. it more. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And sometimes he'll forget that like, oh, he was just riding around with some guys and, you know, doing some trails. And then I get on the bike and then he's like, and I get freaked <laughs> out. I'm like, Tim, what happened? Like, <laughs> what, are what are you doing? doing? He's like, oh, 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 right. Of course. Um, so I know that um, he does his very best, but we do fall sometimes. And uh, yeah, I, I don't ever blame him. It's just a part of what happens when you're on a motorcycle. Yeah. I was kidding yeah, about the falling thing. I was more, <laughs> I was more interested in what it's like to be on, on the back. And and the thing is, it's, it really is the ultimate two up travel is, is in, in my mind, it could be the ultimate way to travel with two people because the cost of, yeah. of having two motorcycles. So when you double up on your motorcycles, that problem you're having with your one bike would yeah. be multiplied yes. by two and all um, of a sudden the expense thing kind of goes the out the window. The expense is huge. The gas is yeah. you know, yes, one repairs. of the more. Yeah. I mean, if you're burning seven liters per hundred kilometers with two bikes, you're burning 14. Now you're into a car. No. Yeah. That's a weird math conversion. Wow. That my brain. Yeah. I don't okay. understand. Yeah. Sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, if you, let, let's say you're, let's say you're getting what? 30 miles per gallon, yeah. you know, and yeah. then all of a sudden Not you're down good. to 15. With, exactly. With oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It, it's definitely, uh, <laughs> a lot more costly to be on two motorcycles. And she's in her own little opera romance movie oh, gosh, in I the back. That, you know, <laughs> I'm just the pilot and she's just... I don't have to worry about traffic. I don't have to worry about where to park. I don't have to worry about any of those things. Um, I'm just enjoying it for the ride, for the scenery. I get a, a windshield, like a human a windshield. Tim, Tim that shield. Blocks all the <laughs> bugs hitting me, blocks all the rocks, blocks all the wind, all the rain. I don't get nearly as drenched as he does. Um, and the hail sometimes. No. <laughs> well, and I think as far as me too, like I hate dropping the bike with Marissa's on it. And, you know, I got precious cargo back there. So I'm always trying to be as safe as I possibly can. But I think if she was on her own bike, I, I think I wouldn't be controlling or anything like that. But yeah, I would always have this fear of, mm. wow, she just got on the bike for the first time last year yeah. or, yeah. you know, she doesn't have, you know, like I would always be afraid that, you know, I'm in control and sometimes that's not a good thing, but when you release that and I mean, we're both adults and so I'm not I'm a controlling person, but I'm just in this weird analogy that I have. No, I think Marissa's you'd worry about me. Bike. Yeah. I would yeah. worry about me. I don't yeah. think I'd be very good. <laughs> I mean, I cannot ride a motorcycle. So, uh, yes, no. I think I could learn. I could, I could learn to ride a motorcycle. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities, but I think, um, some of the roads that we enjoy doing, yeah, it'll be an uphill climb for me. It'll be, Quite um, hard bit. to learn how to manage those roads. And so I think that would be a worry. Yeah. I mean, some have. of these roads we go down, she doesn't get the opportunity to say no on because we're already halfway up it by the time she's like, this sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but whatever. But if she had her own bike, she'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Turn around. The other thing is I am always lost. I, I mean, you put me in a building, turn me around. I don't know how to get out again. Like, I don't know where I parked. I'm just I'm terrible. And so um, I would... I could just imagine us being in one of those really traffic ridden cities. And she ends and up in Ecuador and I, end I would up be in crying. Argentina. I'd be like, where am I? Where are you? Like, find me. I yeah. it would just, yeah. I She'd can just see be that hitting happening. the Garmin in reach thing. Like, like, SOS. Every other hour. like Oh my God. <laughs> I, I thought that would have changed now since you've been traveling so much that Marissa, you would have learned, I don't know, you would have learned a method to, to, to take the map in. 
Well, nope. so no, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have the GPS in front of me like he does. I can't see it. Um, I have a, I'm pretty good at geography. Uh, you know, I could look at the map of the world and know things don't uh, pretty well. Don't draw but- Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't draw Texas, I've discovered. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at geography. But when it comes to actually knowing which direction things are at, or um, we just came from there, you know, if we'll pull into a restaurant, in my mind, sometimes I think, oh, we're going the wrong way, like pulling back out to the road. But I'm wrong. I just I have a terrible sense of yeah. direction. And that has mm. not improved over the years. But that's at what all. Google Maps <laughs> is for. Google offline maps. <laughs> but p- part of that is but when you relinquish the, the map reading or control of, of where you're going to someone else, you don't pay attention the same. You, you just don't. And, and I know this because when I, even when we're driving, Elizabeth is, is look, working the map. She's telling me which way to turn, et cetera. I don't even pay attention. So I can turn around and go no. back out. And I often don't know which way to go because I have not paid attention. I, and I wonder if that's just part been of it. Given, yeah, audio yeah. commands. Yeah, and just, just follow like, Right, it's become a crutch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's time to take a, a map and pin it to Tim's back. <laughs> so you well, can, I am just as directionally, cha- I mean, I just follow a line, right? All around the world. I mean, we, yeah. we do our, you know, we, we explore on our own and stuff too. So it's not all just plotted, but. Uh, but we have a lot of respect for people who traveled before Google Maps. Yeah, like before, Sam Manica, like yeah. some of those folks were in this. Like in Africa, there's like a street sign every hundred thousand kilometers, you know, it's like there's <laughs> out, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to turn right on. You yeah. Know. No signage whatsoever. No. Um, but it, you know, yeah. when we came back to the, the States, my dad likes to talk in Cardinal direct, like go West for two blocks and then turn, you know, North on Euclid and then go down three blocks and turn East. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's not going to work for me. I don't, I'm not like going to be tracking the sun as I'm moving. Which, which way was North again? <laughs> yeah, no, where's the mold grow? Well, the GPS right. does that sometimes too. It'll tell you turn North, head South. Yeah. I'm thinking if I knew what direction yeah. I was going and I wouldn't be asking exactly. you for help. This is true. <laughs> exactly. Give me a left or right. <laughs> Tim, how many miles do you, do you have you traveled now? You, I think you said that at the start. Uh, so on the bike is eighty six thousand uh, miles logged on the bike. Um, I would yeah. say a good fifteen chunk of those were messing around the first couple of years before we lost before we left on August twenty first in twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. But accumulatively, yeah, it's eighty six. Right? Yeah, and that is it's a lot. It's a lot, and there are a lot of like hard. Beat up, bumpity bump miles. Yes, you know? a lot so, of washboard, sand, yeah. rocks, a water crossings. <laughs> so, so but she's been good to us. After all these miles that, you, that you've done here, riding all these roads and, and visiting all these places around the world that you've done, what have you learned? What, what have you What have you come out of with um, as far as change in attitude towards your gear and your bike? Ooh, mm. so my gear, I, all right, so let's start with the bike because I love the bike. Um, it's an KTM 1190, it's the S, it's not even the R. What's the difference between the S and the R? So there's a larger, there's a 21 front tire on the R and it's got um, manual adjustment for the, the shocks. It's uh, more geared towards <clears> off-road, <throat> I think. Yeah, um, and then the S is just a, a smaller front diameter wheel and then all everything's electronic suspension, which in hindsight, 
you know, that those are the things that go astray, yes. you know, but so good. the bike has been really, really, really awesome to us. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've broken a couple mono shocks, but those are for the reasons we've already discussed that I may be over the manufacturer's recommended weight. Limit. <laughs> you may, I you may, may or may not be. It is not confirmed. Right. At this point. <laughs> but you know, and we've, you know, we went through the Bolivian salt flats in Bolivia and yeah. that eroded away some, I mean, salt Electrical. water is not good for motorcycles. So the bike has had issues, but so has anybody with a car or a motorcycle with 86,000 oh, yeah. miles. Something's happened. You know, mm-hmm. you, you live to be 86. You, something's happened to you in <laughs> those 86 years. Yeah. You know, but uh, so the motorcycle I love. And if there was a brand new 2014 KTM 1190 with no miles on it, I would buy it again. I would not have changed the bike. Um now they don't make 1190s anymore. And it was the Goldilocks of the KTM big <laughs> big bikes. Now they make the 1290 and the 1090. But yeah, but so I guess that's been what we've learned about the motorcycle is we love the motorcycle. Well, yes. what, yeah, what you learned is you just you love your bike. You know, it's, that's um, right. And and you yeah. don't feel you've made any sort of mistakes with it. Not even with the um, the 19 inch front wheel. See, I've never even ridden a bike, owned a bike, I should say, with the 21 front wheel. So I don't know that you know, that difference. So mm. yeah. it's like somebody driving a car without, it, it, I guess it's not as, it's, it's not as big of a difference of power steering or not, you know, it's just something that I've just grown accustomed and used to. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm not intelligent enough to make a comparison. Between. I will say though, that the, when it comes to the shock, I would prefer to have a manual adjusting shock as opposed to the electric one just because of our overloadedness and how that has uh hindered that system in in what way you mean actually controlling it or you mean when it breaks well the the little actuator motor broke as well um the little motor that makes uh, the the dampener stiffer but we had it stuck thankfully on the two passengers with luggage mode so i didn't really care because i'm never gonna be out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, the last time I replaced a mono shock with a progressive shock, I actually stuck in like a quarter inch worth of washers to even make the, <laughs> the, the, the dampeners start at a, a stiffer setting. Um, but I do think that the R model and some of those more off-road orientated ones, they're expecting you to maybe beat it up a little bit harder than mm-hmm. their street model ones. But on that same note, the S has taken us to places where people on little, yeah. you know, two fifties were like, man, how'd you get a hell up here? That was a pain in the ass, you know? And it was like, but we got here, you know, <laughs> oh, we, wow. we, we, we went a little slower. I'll be honest, but we, you know, we got here. Yeah. It's been good. And then I think as far as of our gear, like we've never were able to afford really good gear or yeah. we could have afforded, but. Yeah, I think we've learned the importance of having quality gear. We started out very much on the cheap, oh, this is good enough side of the spectrum. Um, When we did our little, we call it our maiden voyage around the Rocky Mountains to kind of test ourselves in the motorcycle. And everything we brought on that trip, we did not bring on the real trip. And I think um, throughout the years of traveling, um, very extensively, we've learned that uh, it might be worth the investment of having better gear. This is mostly because of 
our problems getting really good waterproof yes. outer jackets and stuff. Um, we've never been able to find anything that has been very waterproof for us. Yeah. <laughs> I've, every Florida monsoon I've driven through, you know, or the equivalent of, you know, African rain, you yeah. know, like I've always... I've always found out that I'm now sitting in a cold puddle and my butt <laughs> is cold and this sucks. And, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I got pneumonia in Colombia because my rain jacket just and wasn't I got waterproof. Pneumonia enough. in Peru. Yeah. Really? And then there was that time in um, Ecuador that you got Maybe pretty sick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, and, and you'd think in Colombia too, it was quite warm out. We were on the northern coast. And so it was, I think, looking back on it, a bit bizarre that I got pneumonia, but it doesn't really matter what the temperature is at. When you're that wet and you're just drenched and going on a motorcycle for that many hours, um, yeah, you can still get quite sick. And so I think it's very important to have really good waterproof gear. As well as, you know, like boots and protection and your helmet. You know, I I left the trip with us. I looked like a... Marvin the Martian bobblehead with this helmet that was way too big, but I was too cheap to to buy a new one. And that was that's that's an idiot move. That's a you yeah. know but I did and once we got into Central America I, I upgraded just because I shake my head left and right and then it would still go left and right well after I <laughs> I had stopped moving my head. <laughs> but uh you know and that transfers into boots too. Yeah, you know. for boots I've learned the importance of ankle support. I think that is uh, hugely important, um, especially with the types of roads that we like to go down. In the very beginning, I was very adamant that we weren't going to be doing very much off-road. No. We've since come a long way <laughs> since then. We go off-road all the time. And so um, with that, I think our gear has had to evolve to accommodate the amount of times that we fall. And yeah, so I gotta say it like that <laughs> preparation of the possibilities we we are now prepared. We are now prepared. There you go. That's right. that in. <laughs> yeah. So having really good ankle support on the boots, and then of course like really waterproof gear, I think is yeah. very important. What else? What What about the other gear? I mean, you have camping gear that you take with you. Are you are you referring to that as well when you're talking about better quality gear? We actually, we, we splurged more on camping than we did on our, our yeah. rain jackets and stuff. Cause we and knew that, that was our, our home because oh, if yeah. you, if you have a long day's ride and you're kind of beat up and then you have a crappy night's sleep and then you wake yeah. up for another crappy ride oh, and it's yeah. just this circle of just, right. this isn't fun. We wanted to make sure that our tent and that our sleeping pads and that our quilt would, mm-hmm. would keep us warm on the coldest of nights and comfortable and you know dry so that year we did a lot of research on and and set off pretty yeah we spent money right from the beginning and i think that has worked out well i went um, to the overland fest in flagstaff and came and, and i mean that's just that's where you get to see the the fails and successes because yeah. there's a lot you don't go to the vendors because then all the vendors say oh this is the best thing ever made by mankind but you walk <laughs> around you know the the normal folk and mm-hmm. uh you know it's like they'll, they'll be brutally honest and mm-hmm. so when i got back from oh the overland event in flagstaff i told marissa i said hey i think we're going to spend about a thousand dollars but it's <laughs> It's very necessary. And she kind of looked at me wide-eyed. But. And I was like, but we already have a tent. We already have uh, a sleeping bag. 
But I am so thankful that we spent that. We, um, because I had been camping many times before going on this trip and every single time I'd camped, I was cold at night. And I just thought, well, that's a part that's of camping. camping. Yeah. Oh. Right. And, um, little did you know, I'm little a, did I know I'm a human furnace. Well, <laughs> Marissa will still be freezing without one Tim Notier lying next to her. But it's you, but also it's the down quilt that yeah. we got, which is an incredible piece of equipment that I just, I love it so, so, so much. It has kept us warm through everything. So, uh, that has been invaluable. Yeah. The, the down quilt, um, how did that work in the tropical environments? <laughs> Sometimes we don't sleep with yeah. it. <laughs> right. But I mean, the problem is it gets wet and it gets moldy and, you know, like down is impossible to dry next to impossible to dry unless you actually take it somewhere and throw it yeah. in a dryer. It's one of the disadvantages anytime you're in any yes. sort of wet environments is down is great. I love down, but I mean, it, yeah. is, it is difficult to manage. Well, it's not as uh, open to the elements as let's say like a down jacket or something, right? Mm -hmm. like, right. It's inside our tent. And I mean, this is Marissa's little precious baby quilt. I am extremely careful with that down uh, quilt. Yeah. Right. And like, if I'm too dirty, she makes me wet, wet my like feet off and such. Like, oh, like yes. fun Horrible. fact, over five years, <laughs> this quilt has been washed zero times. Yes. So. Which is probably not good at all, but um, <laughs> I've been very uh, careful to keep it clean and to keep it dry. So if we are in a very wet environment and I feel like it's gotten wet, the next time we're in a hotel or in some sort of shelter where there is um, not a lot of humidity going on. I no, break I it out. That. Yeah, we'll put a fan on it. Um, yeah, I've been very, very careful with it. And so far, it's been great. Yeah. Wow, it's lasted all that time. And what make is that? That's an enlightened equipment. They're made, they're U.S. made. I think it's out of either Minnesota or Michigan. I'm not sure. But uh, really, it, it wasn't the, the cheapest thing out there. But it is a double wide quilt. And it's just been... Awesome. That's right. Us. And paired that with the insulated sleeping, sleeping pads, pad. um, that has kept us warm throughout everything. Yeah. And what are they? They're the Nemo. Uh, well, now they've changed. The, they've changed them now to the Cusnar. And they just got the new ones. Is this yeah, Thermarest? No, they're no, they're, they're Nemo. Nemo. Oh, Nemo. So we is the we travel. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we travel. Is we got kind of lucky. Um, we we traveled with the same sleeping pads for like four years, and then yeah, just great. just on this last loop around the states, one of the well, both of them kind of bubbled. Um, yeah, they know. kind of broke on the inside and then formed mm -hmm. this big bubble. <laughs> yeah, but we we've been beating the heck out of these things for mm -hmm. years and years and years and using them often. And but Nemo's got a lifetime guarantee. We're not sponsored by anybody. This is me just giving honest feedback, and you know. But like, we got brand new sleeping pads now yeah. because. So because they're lifetime warranty. They just gave exactly, you new ones. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. They said, you know, and because of situations, they said, don't even send them to us. Just take pictures and prove that you're not lying. So that worked out well for us. And did yeah. you tell them you've been living on them for the past five years? <laughs> I just sent them the pictures and right. said, hey, look at this. Lifetime guarantee, right? Yeah, said, exactly. Yeah. That's great. But, it, but that's true. That's that's where the, the money spent in advance exactly. is wise. But you do have to be careful because there's so many things you can buy. I mean, you know that going to Overland right. Expo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's just- you know, and we use our down jackets as pillows because then we have down pillows, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have the little blow up pillows, which a lot of people do, but that's, and, and they're not big and they're not heavy, but if one, you know, 
a, a whole, we, we found out real quick that a whole lot of not big, not heavy things can accumulate to an yeah. entire pannier and just, And I think you have to focus yourself on what's really necessary, but also anyone who's planning a big trip, like what we've done, I always recommend them not to get too hung up on gear. Yes, it's extremely important to have good gear, but I would never want it to be prohibitive of them ever leaving on their trip. Minus Um, any safety, like, you know, all the gear all the time as far as becoming too worried about it. Exactly. Um, too hyper-focused on getting the perfect gear because there is no perfect anything and the perfect setup just does not exist in my opinion. And everyone is different and what they're perfect might be different than your perfect. And so um, same with uh, finances. I always recommend that people, you know, do their due diligence of making sure they have uh, whatever funds they need for their travels, but also making sure that they do eventually leave for those travels and not think, oh, if I keep working, then I'll have this much more money and this much more money and this much more money and then never leaving. When it comes to finances, has there been a change from when you started to now on the money you can live on in a day? I mean, have you become, have you learned ways to become more frugal to make your dollars go further? Yeah. I mean, I think that that started when our preparation stage, I mean, we live like hobbits, in, yeah. in Arkansas where I got a good job. He it, says living like hobbits is because the house was Paris. like crumbling into yeah. the earth. <laughs> and that character. And so it was character. inexpensive to live there. Yes. Exactly. And like my boss and my other employees would be like, you know, like, why do you live there? And I'm like, I don't know. I like it. It's really, it's nice, you know, but we, we saved up and we had our eye on the on the prize. And so we didn't have, you know, the latest yeah. TVs, latest phones, latest whatevers. Um, and so that I, started very early on. I think there was a moment at the beginning of our trip where we may have gone a little crazy with spending just because we were still kind of in vacation mode. Yeah. And we, you know, we just quit our jobs. We're going on this huge trip. Well, in the States, you can spend a lot of money pretty easily. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. Baja, Mexico, it gets a little bit cheaper, but you're still in, you know, like like we would spend 50, 60, $70 on hotels a night in the States when we first left. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was how much they cost. Right. But Mm -hmm. now upon return (laughs) from from like Africa and South America, (laughs) someone was like $70. And we just, we had to have, we 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 did this when we went around, but it's like the first little podunk crappy little hotel we ride into. (laughs) And we're like, well, this can't be more than 30 bucks. And you know, they're like 110 and I'm like $110. (laughs) 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 You know, but do you, would you try and talk them down? I mean, have you learned, have you learned that from being on the road? You you go in and you say, Because I, I will be like, we both know that this room is not worth $110, you know, but, uh, we try to find, and again, like I overlander is an, a nice app that is yeah. both useful outside and inside of your own country, wherever that may be. But no, we double check because yeah, we, we have not paid for $110 hotel room since back because that's just ridiculous. We've also gotten good at the art of looking around. Um, and knowing that we're kind of just showing up, some hotels are kind of against that. They've got all their reservations and, um, sometimes they're fully booked, but in general, that can be a real asset when you don't have a reservation, you just show up 
be like, here I am. No, you know, take it or leave it. What you got, buddy? <laughs> Give me your best price. Exactly. You go to an area where there's quite a few hotels. Um, that yeah, that can be good. Yeah. Do you walk away? Do you go in and say that to oh, somebody, yeah. and they say, no, I can't do anything for you. And you walk away. Well, I, yeah. yeah, I look around. I'm like, dude, there's there's five other motels in this area. You know, and, and we, we don't came. do it like hostily. No. <laughs> We're not like this is, you know, screw you guys. Screw no. you. We just say, oh, it's, you know, we'll out think of our about budget. it. Maybe we'll be right back. And then we yeah. get out and we're like, yeah, there's no way in heck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we go to the diviest looking hotel we can find in the corner of town. Um, and some, some, some we ride into and we're like, yeah. Quick loop, get that guy out of there. Because yeah. we're like, yeah, I don't care how cheap that was. It's but not bad. That's not it's happening. It's not worth my life. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. Because it's more from the, what's going on there, not so much the condition of the room. It's both. Oh, yeah. It's just about, yeah. yeah. It's the car Everything. coming out of room three that turned me off. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah. No, we, we try to so live. It's an adventure. You know, cheaply. Um, if that means, you know, not ordering out as much. And camping um, has been wonderful. Um, weather permitting, um, because not only is it a lot cheaper, but, uh, then you get to be in your own, uh, hotel room, I guess you could yeah. say with the tent. Well, and what was nice about Africa though, is that like, and South America for that matter, like campgrounds here are just as much as pretty decent hotels yeah. in Africa and South America. And so yeah. it's what you get for the, the price is kind of a, a sticker shock where it's like, yes. this should be, I, I have a tent that takes up, you know, six feet by three feet. This is, yeah. let me rent this piece of property for five to 10 US dollars. And At I think everybody time, should be happy. But. Yeah. It's, it's much more expensive <laughs> to live here. I understand people are making it as cheap as they possibly can. And, um, you know, we, we know it's, it's never going to be $30 for a hotel room. That's just not no. reasonable in the United States. You know, we don't expect to pay African prices here. No. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a shock right in the beginning, but then, you know, we remember, oh yes, this is the no. States and these people have a business and they need to live too. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a difference in price. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that always the the type of camping you do or do you look for, you know, behind gas stations, down dirt roads and things like that? We, it depends on where we are, right? Like if we're anywhere near a big city, it's just, we, you know, that's. Yeah. We don't go behind gas stations. Um, I no. think if we were in an enclosed vehicle, that would be different. You can pretty no. much park anywhere. And I will say South America, I mean, we've, we've hopped back onto the States and trying to be cost effective, but you mm -hmm. know, in South America, when there's nobody around, yeah. yeah. Behind the gas station. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We have done that before in different yeah. countries. People, we talk to the gas station owner and they'll say, Oh yeah, just put your tent over there. It's a lot more normal there. Um, and it's totally acceptable, yeah. but uh, here in the States, yes, we do to try to, to find, uh, there's some free campgrounds. Yeah. That and we down find. dirt roads are really, those are, those are my preferred ones. Absolutely. Opposed to the, the concrete, you know. But we always make sure that it is an actual camp place as opposed to just some random person's property. We try to avoid, yeah. A, yeah I mean, that can get very tricky with the legalities in the United States. And I just don't want to wake Usually, up to like, someone down forest being roads like, this and is stuff. our property. So Yeah. We, we've, we're always intelligent. But like when we were in Utah, that was hard because all the hotels were $480,000. Oh, Moab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're not exaggerating at all, right, Tim? No, no. You know, that's before tax. Right. But, you know, but then all the campgrounds are really, really expensive 
too. And there's all these spots where you can just pull off and wild camp, but this, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's not private or it's not, you're, you're, there's posted signs that says don't camp here. Yeah. Oh, and I so I would just hate to be it's woken so up. It's so tempting. I but know we it's just, like, oh, this is the perfect spot, but yeah, yeah I don't want to wake up to the sound of like a the police shotgun being, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we don't want to be trespassing. And that's where somebody traveling by car sort of has an advantage because, you know, you see the the people that are overlanding on four wheels, they can just pull over and stop somewhere, crawl yeah. in the back right. and go to sleep. Walmarts are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But when you have to set up a tent that, you know, you're just so obvious, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, yes. uh, it's always been my method to, to wait till it gets dark and then go set up, you know, out of sight and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully nobody, you know, comes in and bothers me, which I really haven't had. But yeah. um, that's good. But you, but you certainly take a risk with it. It's, it's always the type of thing where you have to be there after dark and then be gone before light. Yeah. Yes. Those are two things that we don't like. We don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you mean getting up early. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you know. But in other countries, it's been great. For example, in South America, we wild camped quite frequently and never once did um, we have any problem with it. No. Oftentimes... Someone, you know, it would be like a Owners potato or field or something. Would pop yeah, up. someone would come by. Oh, this is our land, and we would ask them, "Can we camp here?" And they were sometimes quite honored yeah. that we had chosen their land to camp on. So, mm. um, and always very, very welcoming. And yeah, I think that is a bit of a difference. Yeah. Was there any real um, eye opener thing you guys have learned so far on, on the road? Is there anything that really sort of shocked you? that I could touch another human being for 23 <laughs> hours a day and still like that person. <laughs> That's a, probably a really good observation because you did say once earlier when we were talking, you said something about we're, we're, we still love each other. I think, I think that's what there was a reference you made. We still love yeah. each other. And that's sort of a nod towards what you just said. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, that was a concern in the beginning after we'd been working our separate jobs for so long and seeing each other for maybe just a couple hours every day in the evening and then just going to sleep, you know, we were worried. All right. Are we going to be able to handle being around each other for so many hours out of the day? And it hasn't been perfect. No, there's definitely a learning curve as well. But we've, we've done three scenarios where we both were responsible adults and had two jobs and did, you know, what you're supposed to do as adults. And then we've quit that. And then we're on the road where, you know, we are on the road together the entire time. And then during the pandemic in Kenya, we stopped traveling, which, you know, has its own distractions from each other of like, you know, we're riding and we're seeing beautiful things and there's a lot of uh, things going on. And then the third scenario being when we were in Kenya and neither of us had jobs, but we were still playing house with each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was, She's a pretty cool roommate, man. Oh, I'm a cool roommate. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think we've done a lot of the variables that, and, and, and then in any one of those scenarios, you can get very used to. And then when you change to another one, it's like shock and awe. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've had words with each other once or twice, <laughs> but we've come through to the other side and each of them and. That's true. As time goes on and the more we do it, the more we realize that um, it just makes us stronger. As a couple, um, as, a, as roommates. Yes. I think in the beginning, we 
would have an argument and possibly think, oh, well, this is this could be trip ending. You know, this yeah. is this is the end of us. This is the end of everything. But it's a little dramatic. But. Well, sometimes we'd get dramatic, <laughs> yeah. you know, and of course, the next day we wouldn't feel that way anymore. But we've come to the point now where even if we do have an argument, we realize, oh, this is just another little pothole, I guess you yeah. could say, and that the road goes on and we know that about each other. And so, um, yeah, the amount of time that we've put into traveling together has just made us a lot stronger as a couple. And that in itself has been incredibly rewarding and something yeah. I would never give up. <laughs> yeah. Mar Marissa, what about you? As far as a, a big thing, is, is there anything big that has really surprised you on the trip? I think what has surprised me is the amount of, how do I say this? The lack of worrying that this lifestyle has afforded me. Um, when I first started out, I was always very stressed from work, from um, teaching can be quite stressful. I guess any job can be and um, used to these timelines and I thought that traveling, I was going to be losing all this control that I had built up for myself in my work and life and that I would be worrying all the time about all the things that could go wrong. And to be fair, I still worry about things, but I've come to realize that a lot of those worries don't need to be worried about. <laughs> and um, over the years, I've a lot of those worries have just gone away and uh, the things that I worry about, like the weather and where we're going to stay. And I know now that there's, it's, it's going to work itself out by the end of the day, we're going to be fine. And the world kind of embraces us wherever we go. It's been this wonderful feeling of just letting go of all that control and going with the flow and the flow just guides us to wherever we need and to be. I will also say that we've been quite lucky and fortunate. There are some, you know, yeah. I mean, let's not hang on the topic, but you know, there's been some bad scenarios that have happened to people around the world. Um, yeah. So we have been very fortunate and I'm very glad for that. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't just ride around ignorantly blissful, view, mm -hmm. but we, we do use some common sense and such, but I do agree with her that the world is not, as scary as some of yeah. our internal, you know, preconceptions could be, you know, like. I think it's like riding off road. You know, at first you want to grip the steering wheel. This is what I've heard. Look at I her don't. talking. Yeah, you can't even <laughs> ride a motorcycle and you're like, so. <laughs> but like you, the road wants the steering wheel to move a There's little no bit. steering wheel. Or not steering. <laughs> handlebars. That's okay. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. I'm a jerk. The handlebars. With you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, and you want to grip it, you want that control over it. But in reality, if you just let go a little bit and you let the the road kind of guide you, then you'll be able to do the off-road a lot yeah. better. If you fight it. So I've heard. It's going to, you might end up on the ground. <laughs> That's yeah, right. I like just, that. if, yeah, I like it too. Oh, we got you. there at the end. Yeah, no, and, and, see, and, and that, you, you know, this is a, um, this, this story or this storyline is something I hear a lot from travelers that have spent a lot of time on the road 
it, it's um, there's something about learning that you can handle, I guess, whatever comes at you, that you have yes. to handle it and you do. And it's always an outcome you can deal with that gives you the confidence to sort of, I guess, walk along blissfully to some degree and say, yeah. whatever, yes. you know, like, I'll deal with it. It may not be what I want, but I'll deal with it. And That's I think right. Marissa has hit that Buddha kind of like mentality a little bit <laughs> more than I but it's good that if I was a solo traveler, I don't I don't think I could do this if Marissa wasn't there. Just because I do, I don't know. There's been some certain situations where it just wouldn't be as enjoyable without her. But mm-hmm. uh, she is the the light that, that sometimes gets me right back on track where I might be hopping off, you know, of my my. Well, thank you. I mean, but we do rely on each other. I'm not always so Buddha-like or (laughs) Zen-like. And there's been plenty of moments where I just have this freak out. For sure, the road will test you. And um, we come across lots of situations that are extremely unpleasant, I guess you could say. Uh, Whether it's just being wet and cold and tired and hungry. um, Or it's just mentally you're drained um, and it, it can be exhausting to travel as well. Um, but it's really nice to be able to lean on yes. each other as well. Hopefully one of us won't be so in that situation no. and can uh, kind of provide that support for the other person. No. You guys are always quick to say both in your own way about how it's not all roses, you know, because, and, and I, and I yeah. understand why, because that's what gets posted on social media. And that's what everybody talks about is, is, um, you know, the wonderful time they're having, et cetera, et cetera. We all understand yes. that life is not like yeah. that. What, give me an example. What, what is the time when you guys feel like you were really tested on the road and you managed to get through it? Well, there was a very recent instance we were, we had 10 days to go between one expo to the other One was in Flagstaff and the other was in Virginia. And in general, that's too long of a distance for us to travel very comfortably um, in that amount of time, the way that we like to travel. Uh, So it was mostly highways, just pretty intense day after day. We usually like to go a couple days and then maybe rest a day. This wasn't the case during these 10 days. And it just so happened that once we crossed through Oklahoma and hit Arkansas, the rain started and my rain jacket just did not function properly. It started to get a little bit cold. It was into October at that time, I think. And uh, the rains continued as we went through Tennessee. There were two days where I was just shivering. I was cold. I was wet. We were going for us seven hours in a day is quite a lot especially highways, the wind, the noise. I felt very, very drained. We'd just come out of uh, a weekend of an expo, which can be uh, very draining as well. So I was at a very low point, but what had happened was we decided to take this road once we got to the east called the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm. And even though it continued to rain and I continued to still be a little bit wet, not as wet. I, I got a better situation after that first day <laughs> as far as rain jackets go. But the beauty of that road really lifted my spirits. So I was quite down in the dumps and I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this. I was just yeah. feeling very down. 
And but it was gorgeous. You know, and that is a good example. Um, but that's, you know, kind of being, that's one of the least extreme bad moments that we've had. I mean, we've, we, in true. Peru, we've had power slides and Marissa's had, yeah. you know, like nearly, she ripped some ligaments on the bottom of her foot. But it doesn't have to be extreme for it no. to be emotionally difficult. Totally. No, and I and I get what you're saying about like when you're at the expo. I, I gather you're, you're you're presenting there. Was that what you were doing? Yes, we were presenting yeah. and selling books. And, okay, yeah. so when you're presenting, selling books, you're you're sort of on call all the time. Yeah. The other thing you said, Marissa, that that caught me was the the noise of the highway. And I think mm. um, many times we forget about this until you're in that situation, if you recognize it, because the mm. noise of rattling your helmet, just the general yes. din of of high speed nonstop. Yeah, that that wears you down. That. Um, Yes, my ears would be ringing at night and it just, it kind of still felt like you're still on the highway. You know, you get this kind of hypnosis to your eyes, I guess. Maybe it's just me because I'm looking to the side mostly. I can't see directly in front of me. But when we stop, I feel a bit seasick. Yeah. Mm, yeah. disjointed when we're going well, that fast for so long. By that time, out of our little North American loop and doing the expos, like, we were having like for me as the the rider. I don't mind the rain and all that much, but where the fun started to end with me is that the bike kept on having an yeah. issue, and I didn't even know if we'd make. It was like every state we got to, something stupid was happening, and yeah. I didn't know if we were going to make it to Virginia, and I didn't know if Virginia was going to be worth it. So, uh, which know, it was, which by the it way. was, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, so there's definitely you know hurdles to to get over um, emotionally, physically. Mm-hmm. And mentally, because a lot of that is mental. It's you thinking in your helmet about, is the bike going to make it? Are we going to make it? Um, You have all that time in your helmet, which is amazing. I love that time. I call it like my Zen moments, but it can also be detrimental. Yeah, if you Um, get down the wrong path, then that's a snowball. Yeah, uh, you just start mm -hmm, thinking, thinking, thinking. (laughs) Uh, there's I, I, there's so many things that I, still that I'd like to talk to you about, um, but we're, I think we're running a little long on time, so we'll wrap it up. I just I do want to mention. So you've got the two books out, and and you're selling those, and, yes. and people are loving them. I, I know I've seen the the reviews or some of the reviews on them, etc. What are the names of the books again? So there's three now. There's three. And when did yes. the third one come out? So that came out when this did, summer. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I missed that one completely. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Three, then. <laughs> So there's Maiden Voyage, which is kind of our, you know, introduction to the who, what, why, and how we, you know, to make sure that we actually wanted to do this lifestyle. And then there's Two Up and Overloaded, which is from Chicago to Panama. And then there's the newest one that just came out is Blood, Sweat, and No Tears, which is kind of a pun on my my name. And then <laughs> that's from Colombia to Ushuaia. Yeah, so, so South America. That's my American, America continent trilogy that mm-hmm. is really neat three books so but you're you're an experienced author at this point uh, well, <laughs> the attempt is there i think so yeah i like it i think i'm getting better as a, a writer as they they go along so it's it's fun for me well we'll put the link in the show notes so people can go and find your books are they on audio as well they are not because i've not had enough time to sit down in a room that has you know enough quiet space to to do something like that. But that's like a that. winter project. Ah, yes. that's a good idea. Right. Yeah, I think you talked about it. I think you were sort of, you took, you took a stab at the one in Kenya, didn't you? And you, <laughs> you did. did. You know, like black ibises in the background and crickets. And <laughs> it would have been very in the moment and authentic, but it was 
Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. have worked. <laughs> yeah, it might might get a little fatiguing to the ears to hear the crickets this for is true. You know, yes. six hours or something like that. <laughs> Tim Marissa, great to talk to you. Thank you so much. We got to get you back after maybe after you go to Alaska because I'd like to hear how that goes and then figure out where you're going Absolutely. to going to go next. A hundred percent. We're yes. we're always on board to jump on um, on the phone with you. This is this is always very fun and, and entertaining it's for so us. So wonderful for us. Thank you. Thanks so much. I've been speaking with Marissa and Tim Notier from their sort of temporary home, I guess, in Chicago. They've got three books out now that chronicle their adventures by motorcycle. The first one is Maiden Voyage, then Two Up and Overloaded, and then finally Blood, Sweat, and No Tears, their last name. Their website is notearsfrontiers.com, and of course, we'll have that link in the show notes, along with a bunch of photographs from their adventures. You should drop by and have a look at that, all available on our website, adventureriderradio.com. you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of it and listening to the show. Hey, if, if you're not doing it already, we need your support. Drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com, click on the support button. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's our other show that comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that one. All available on our website. You can find all the information there. Um, but we would love to get you on our patron support team as well. And there's some perks to doing that. So um, don't sit back and wait for everybody else to do it because quite frankly, very few people who actually listen to the show support. And we do need your support. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Anyway, I'd like it if you, and I'd very much appreciate it if you check it out. And the other thing you could do is give us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, if you haven't done that already, we'd love it if you do that for us. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much once again. And I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs> <laughs>